0: Okay, well welcome everybody. Thank you for coming today. Um, we've got quite a lot of people on the call so um, it's really good that we've got this much interest. Um, my name is Sally-Ann Miller. I'm from the um, Essex Safeguarding Children Board so I'm the Child Exploitation Project Manager and today is Child Exploitation Awareness Day. And to mark this day, we felt it would be really good to have this meeting so we could share with you some updates about child exploitation since the first lockdown. So over the last 12 months, and um, I'm joined today with some really um, valuable key partners from across, across Essex and they've got specialist knowledge about child sexual, criminal and online exploitation, and they're going to give us an overview about the changing picture of exploitation of children in Essex in the last 12 months. Um, But also we would like your participation in this meeting by asking some questions. So if you have some questions, this is your chance to ask the panel members any question that you have relating to child exploitation Um, and we would ask that rather than raising your hand, if you could put your question in the chat. And then Steph Rossa, who is also from the Essex and children board will um, sift through those questions and um, hopefully we'll be ready to start answering them soon um, so before we, we make a start I'm going to um, go around the panel and um, ask everyone to introduce themselves here today so firstly we've got um, the famous two Johns so
1: if we start with uh, John Woodley yeah, hi, uh, my name's John Woodley, um, one of the partners in ESTE safety training, but no one knows that. Everyone just calls us the Two Johns. And um, yeah, we specialise in online child sexual exploitation, talking to children, adults, and professionals.
0: Lovely. And your other half is John Staines.
1: Yeah, my name's John Staines. I'm the other half of the Two Johns. Um, I'm off camera because I've got the face for radio. So I'll let him be on the camera <laughs> and I'm in the background.
0: Thank you. We've also got Jenny Reid. So Jenny, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Jenny Reed.
3: I just want to say I'm not actually the gang's lead uh, for Essex police, uh, I'm actually the gang's officer under prevent and protect for Essex police uh, and the majority of my role is to identify current and emerging trends regarding gangs and county lines and then to work very much in partnership with other agencies and authorities, um, firstly in order to prevent and divert young people from becoming involved in that lifestyle and and also to protect those that, that are involved and I also provide upskilling and raise awareness of these issues from a police perspective and um, very much focused towards a, a collaborative multi-agency approach in, in trying to tackle these issues.
0: Right. Thank you Jenny. That's our fault that uh, you are as down as the gangs lead. You feel like a gangs lead to us, um, but yeah, Jenny's um, gangs officer. OK, next we've got Jim Pearson who is one of the famous two gyms.
2: Hi, I'm Jim Pearson. I'm from the Violence and Vulnerability Unit which covers the whole of Essex. Our role is to really try and look at the the larger picture and understand how gangs are impacting upon um, Essex as a whole and what we can do to help everybody else to try and tackle this problem.
0: Great, thanks Jim. We've got Lucy Wilson. Lucy, would you like to introduce yourself?
4: Hello, I'm Lucy Wilson. I work for Braintree District Council as the Children and Young Persons Officer and the Safeguarding Officer. Um, we do a lot of work around avoiding um, child sexual exploitation and criminal exploitation, um, and we work with partners very Right. Thank you, Lucy. Um, we've got Rosie
0: McHearn. Rosie,
5: would you like to introduce yourself? Sorry. yeah, I'm just unmuting myself. Apologies <laughs> about That's that. That's fine. I feel a bit disappointed that I'm a single Rosie rather than a one of two. <laughs> yes. um, so, uh, so my name is Rosie Meckhan. I'm the safeguarding and looked-after children's manager for Essex Child and Family Wellbeing Service, So we're the 0 to 19 providers across Essex, the health visitors and school nurses. We have multidisciplinary teams and we work with um, both uh, parents uh, who may have children who are um, uh, in gangs or being uh, exploited. And we also work with the young. Uh, people themselves directly we often tie in with our our, uh, broader partner networks for support and help in those areas and uh, we sit on many of the panels to try and uh, assist in giving information on uh, information that we might have that might be helpful in informing uh, uh, about gang and uh, exploitation across Essex and also to gather that information so we can direct our services Accordingly, and our support accordingly.
0: Right. Thank you, Rosie. I can see Julia's is here. Is she joining us on the panel today, or is she observing? Julia, did, did I, you? I'm
6: just observing, Sally.
0: Okay. Right, right. I just, just wanted to
3: Thank you very you. much. Thanks. Thank you. And we've got Lorraine
0: Portwood.
7: Morning. My name is Lorraine Portwood. I'm the service manager for the Children and Families Hub and the Practice Leads in Essex. One of the operational practice leads that
6: I hold is for child exploitation.
0: Thank you, Lorraine. And finally, we have Michelle McCready.
6: Hi, I'm Michelle McCready. I work for the Children's Society. I'm an exploitation practitioner offering one-to-one support for young people um, that are being exploited or at high risk of exploitation. Um, I work with a team and we cover all of Essex except for um, Thurrock and Southend, and we offer group work to schools as well. Right. Thank you, Michelle. Well, um, now you've heard from the
0: panel, I think that gives you a, a flavour of the cross-section of knowledge that we've got here today. Um, and hopefully that will start generating some thoughts and reflections, questions that you may want to ask any of the panel members. So start to put those in the chat as soon as you have them. But um, until then, we're going to just start to, to talk about some of the changes in exploitation, um, just to warm you up So it's been 12 months, hasn't it, since um, we entered our first national lockdown in response to COVID and the need to stay safe at home. Initially, at that first lockdown, many of us thought that children who were being exploited would see a pause in their exploitation um, and could therefore be freed from um, the traps of exploitation. But 12 months and three lockdowns later, Um, What we're realising, unfortunately, is that is not necessarily the case. So exploitation is still occurring, um, both criminally and sexually with children. But we're also seeing changes now to the methods of exploitation. So we're seeing changes to the usual signs that we would have been looking out for before. So just as our adult lives have adapted... To lockdown, so working from home, socialising more on social media, shopping online. Exploiters have also changed their business model too. So there are now new online methods emerging, and exploitation is in some ways becoming more hidden. But children are still being exploited in plain sight as well. So hopefully, by having a, di- a discussion today, asking questions, we can um, helpfully give you some thoughts about what those new signs are, those new methods of exploitation and what to look out for. So um, if we just make a start with maybe um, the two Johns, if you don't mind, what changes have struck you over the last 12 months?
1: Um, the, t- the two biggest issues that we're worried about is gangs and drugs and um, health and well-being. Um, if we just start with health and well-being for two seconds, only because it's still fresh in my memory, we've just finished talking to 450 young children from the age of seven up to the age of 11. And i relate to them a story about my own daughter having a nine year old daughter. She came up to me recently and or she looked really um, upset. I said to her, are You were right. And she said, Yeah. I said, are You sure? I said, What's wrong? And she said, I'm feeling sad. I said, Why are you feeling sad? And she burst into tears. And once I started talking to her, it was all linked to the lockdown. And at the time, I thought that was me failing as a father. And I thought that was specific to my daughter. Today, talking to the kids that we've been talking to, we actually said to them that story. I said, How many of you have felt like that? And we were horrified today when 70% of them said that's how they were feeling year five and six, wasn't and that it? was in year five and six and if you think about it that then leads into horrible stats around suicide self-harm and things like that so we are really desperately worried about that element if you then um look at the internet per se we've obviously always spoke about paedophiles that used to be our expertise but now we've realized the way that gangs have adapted this came relevant to us really when we were working in Bazadon. So we were working with 1,500 children in year five from Bazadon and as part of that, as we do, we asked them some questions and almost half of them had seen gangs glamorized online and they went into some detail about that. And 30% of them, so you're talking about 500 children had seen drugs for sale online. And when we asked them to elaborate on that, they were suggesting that they were seeing pictures of drugs on Instagram and Snapchat, that if you wanted to buy them, you would DM, direct message, the person with that account, which was only a, we call it a burner account, it'd only be up for about a day and a half, and then they would make a purchase. And when you examine that, lots of these young people said you wouldn't have to pay for the purchase, and the purchase would be put over your garden wall, or delivered to your front door. So if you think about this, you've got a young person that hasn't been out the house perhaps for five months, and they wouldn't have to step out the house, has actually been involved in a drug deal. And what concerned initially we were thinking, oh, crikey, that's a lot of kids taking drugs, obviously. But only one said that they were taking the drugs. What the reality is, we don't know. One said they would go to the police, and all of the others said they would think about reselling the drugs and we said, how would you resell it? And then they said that they would create a social media account, they would put up the picture and they would then sell it. And once you asked further questions about that, the model tended to be that you get the young person at home that might never touch a drug in their life. But what they've just become is a drug dealer. And that unfolded a bit more when I spoke to my teenage daughter, because we were so shocked about this. I said, have you ever seen drugs for sale online? And she looked at me like I was crazy. I said, yeah, of course I have. (laughs) Not what I wanted to hear. And then she spoke about her class at school. And there was a person dealing drugs in her class. And then there were two boys who were internet influencers to varying levels. And what they'd said to my daughter was they were being offered money by the drug dealer just to shout out the dealing account. So again, they wouldn't have to touch drugs or anything. All they've got to do is point people in the right direction and then they get a commission. So I think what we're saying here is you've got kids, really young kids now, getting involved in criminality. And sometimes that doesn't involve any physical part whatsoever. On the other side of it, you've got the kid playing a game that might end up being part of the chain, because someone will offer him a really cool inducement within a game to then go and be the person that drops it over the wall. So that is a change that we hadn't previously seen in the online world.
0: Mm. Have you seen changes to um, grooming online as
1: well? Well, this is weird. We talk about something called adaption. And unfortunately, when the internet came about 15, 20 years ago, at that time, John and I were working in Essex police going up against paedophiles. And typically for us, a paedophile was someone that would look in the um, lonely hearts columns, look for a lady that was advertising, saying a must like kids, and then they would get groomed over a 12 month period. Ever since that day, all then years ago, grooming has been adapting online. And I suppose the main adaption now is around um, commodities that are being offered to kids. So, for example, um, they'll be playing something like in Roblox, like Adopt Me, that is a game where the commodity in that game is like having a really cool pet. Seems weird to us as adults, but you've got really common pets like a cat and you've got super cool pets like a unicorn. And if you want that unicorn in the game, then normally you've got to spend money to buy the in-game currency to get the egg, to get the unicorn. Well, that is where the bad guys come in. They chat to the kids and then offer to log into their account and load it. Or on um, what's happened in the last two weeks is on TikTok. There's something called TikTok Live. If you go onto TikTok Live, the trend now is you'll get a young person, perhaps nine years old, 10 years old, sitting there live streaming on TikTok. And what they've got is an iPad in front of them and on the iPad, they're Playing their game. So if we go with this one, Adopt Me, because this is by far the biggest trend over the last two weeks, they'll be sitting there with the pet center open on their iPad. And what they're doing on the TikTok live is shouting out for people to trade pets for them. And even an untrained eye would look at the conversation that's unfolding and you'll realize that the people that are watching them on TikTok live, often paedophiles, are then live time logging into Roblox, and you can actually see it happening on the iPad screen that they're holding up because you'll see the trade going on. And then so it's a young girl. She'll say, thank you so much for the unicorn. And um, that is playing out. And how many adults actually realize that that is the way that this works. And what I want to do on the games then is not talk within the game. In fact, if you've got a nine year old, they can't chat in Roblox if they're set up as a nine year old. But now the trend, and um, this was shown this morning by the kids we spoke to, 60, 70% of them said when they were playing the game, they would be using FaceTime as the method of chat. Mm -hmm. Well, if that is with their friend from school, that's actually pretty cool. But unfortunately, if that's with a bad guy, then as you can imagine, it opens up a whole world of possibilities. (coughs) So the pedophile could offer, I'd say, I would buy you this super ride on unicorn if you send me a naked picture and that is how it's playing out.
0: So I suppose what we're seeing now is um, exploitation is becoming more hidden in some senses isn't it because um, young people some of the signs that we were looking out for previously you know if, if a, a young person is being um, coerced and groomed into a um, criminal exploitation for oh, example yeah. you'd be looking at new trainers wouldn't you and, and smartphones and things like that whereas now it's about not what's in their hand but what's in their game yes. um, and that's going to take a lot of work and detection isn't it because you need to then get alongside that young person to then find out what they're playing and what their activity is online to then find out what is happening in terms of exploitation for them
1: yeah, that that that. if um, we were watching something, it was about two weeks ago, and I don't mean to knock anyone, it was a police crime commissioner and the police were running a public event where they were talking about the signs of gangs. And uh, that might be what you're re- referring to, where basically they said the main thing to look out for was these new trainers. I'm not being funny, we were talking about new trainers a year ago. A lot has changed over the last year. You would want new trainers because you want to show off. If you're on lockdown, then you ain't showing off your trainers to anyone. What you're actually going to be doing is playing like I love Call of Duty mobile. As an example, if I want the coolest skin at the moment in Call of Duty mobile and the coolest gun, so it makes me look really cool. I've got a part with £150 in cash to make that happen. Well, if a kid ain't got £150 and someone gets that for them, how many parents would pick up on the fact they've got the coolest skin in the game? And they're the type of things now that we've got to train ourselves to be looking for when we're working with children and chatting to them. Whereas before, one of the things on your tick list is, oh, they've got a new pair of trainers and you mark that off for something you need to talk about. We personally think one of the questions needs to be, oh, what games are you playing? Oh, how well are you doing in the game? And actually ask questions that would elicit whether or not they've got a really cool account and then treat that as you would to train us i hope that makes sense
0: yeah no it does and so i invite anyone to ask some further questions on this because i think it's really interesting it's a different concept to get our head around you know thoughts around how to have those conversations with children but i think that the underlying message is about getting alongside um and you know playing that game with them um, that's your best way, isn't it, of discovering whether there is any exploitation going on. So I'm going to bring Jenny in next, Jenny, because we, we, we're talking about gangs here um, and, you know, some of the new signs of um, coercion and exploitation. Um, what have you seen that's different in the last 12 months in terms of gangs? Yeah, I mean, I'd,
3: I'd certainly reiterate you know, the advice on what the two Johns have given. Um, and at the moment, it's certainly all about the use of social media activity when we're talking about how gangs recruit. Um, I mean, you know, at the moment, we know that, that gangs and the children and the young people that they are targeting and recruiting are now less visual. We're not saying they're completely off of the street because of the lockdowns, but we're certainly saying that they're less visual at street level. So, again, going back to what the two Johns have said, they've had to adapt the way they recruit. Um, and they've certainly moved more to online platforms in order to be able to target children and young people. And also, you know, for gangs, they can remain even more under the radar as, that, as they don't even need to meet face-to-face with these victims that they're exploiting, which of course makes it a lot tougher for police to, to identify them. Um, but I'd also like to say that, that at the moment, you know, with the pandemic, that risk is very much about the online activity. And what it's also worth remembering is that these gangs that are recruiting young people, you know, they don't necessarily have to recruit from a local perspective. And, you know, we can see that they're targeting children and young people in any location rather than recruiting, let's say, your typical estate gang or or local gang. So I think that's also really important to remember. Um, Again, going back to what's already been said, you know, we need to think about, Maybe not just from a professional capacity, but, but you know, if you've got children yourself, you know, are, are you keeping an eye on the use of social media activity? Do parents know what apps their children are on? Um, is the time monitored? Are there parent controls? You know, it's conversations I guess some professionals can be having with parents. Um, and it's really interesting as well what's been said about the emotional and well-being of young of children at the moment. And it's, it's finding that balance of whether... Um, it's it's what with COVID that's going on, there's finding that balance, whether it's that that's affecting them or whether the behaviours are actually because they're being recruited by gangs. Because we know that children show different behaviours. You know, have they become withdrawn from their family? Are they feeling very much isolated? Now, that might be because of what's been going on with COVID, but it might also be because they've been targeted by somebody to recruit them into a gang and then, in essence, run for a county line. So it's about recognising that balance in terms of how we identify with that. Um, I also know as well that Michelle put in the chat um, about deeps and squares. So, you know, we know that gangs are still making money through criminality. And we know also that they need to clean their money. You know, they can't just turn up at a bank and deposit thousands of pounds. So, you know, we're concerned about that risk of young people being financially exploited and having their bank accounts used um, for, you know, for money to go into their account, promise that victim a cut or as a reward, and then they will just take that money back out and, and essentially they end up depositing it into other victims of exploitation. So, you know, although we've had You know, We've all been in lockdown. People need to appreciate that actually, although kids are at home more, um, not so much now that they're back at school, although kids are at home more, they're not necessarily any safer. Um, Gangs will adapt to whatever that market is and they will exploit it. And they've certainly um, been ahead of the game during a lockdown. So, yeah, it's worth all of that. You know, it's worth remembering all of that. They've certainly adapted and adapted well.
0: And I think social media plays a huge part, doesn't it, in recruitment through gangs um, and with young people, as you say, at home more or trying to connect with their friends more.
3: Yeah, social
0: media more, aren't they? And then th- they are vulnerable to being recruited in that way.
3: Yeah, and and I don't think I don't think gangs have necessarily um, adapted in terms of who they target. Um, I mean, you know, I know that gangs are not fussy in terms of who they recruit. Um, Okay, we can maybe say the majority of of children, and young people um, could possibly be, um, you know, within within um, or known to social care uh, with various vulnerabilities. But that's not always the case. Um, We have instances whereby young people don't necessarily fit that narrative. Um, You know, I mean, we can have we can have um, young people that um you know they could be on their own at home because their parents are working full time but again a gang will seek out that vulnerability because that that person can still feel isolated so although we can still have plenty of support from family um you know wearing all the latest trainers and then the latest designer gear and you know in essence want for nothing there is that vulnerability that the parents aren't around because they're out working full time which a a lot of us do but again gangs will seek out a vulnerability if it's there regardless um, of whether that person is living with parents or in the care system so you know it's worth remembering that that they will target anyone that they see a gap in terms of um of vulnerability and they're very very quick to fill that fill that void as well
0: yeah great thank you jenny i'm going to come on to jim um so this there's, there's a bit of a segue here so jim if you could talk to us about county lines, and what has changed in county lines, which um, does obviously have a crossover here. Um, then that'll be great. Thank you.
2: Yeah, no, thank you for um, giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Um, I'm really, really interested. Um, I think when it comes to understanding um, gangs, county lines, serious youth violence, we have to understand it's underpinned primarily by a drugs market, um, and it's underpinned by the way that. Um, drugs are distributed. Um, The drugs market hasn't changed. um, uh, Sorry, I got really carried away myself. I'm too excited to talk about that. The latest research from release would say that um, throughout the pandemic, the drugs market hasn't changed really at all. Most of the respondents to their survey found that there was no um, impact to their ability to um, get their hands on drugs. The big change is we've seen the removal um, and the moving away from open air drugs markets, so county lines um, organisations organised crime but often in the past run um, open air drug markets, so where the model would be much like prior to the pandemic we would go to the shop to buy something and we would expect the shop to be there. A drug user would go to buy their drugs from a um, drug dealer and they would expect them to be there and know what place Myself and Jim White, who's the other Jim who's not here today, we kind of term it the uberfication. Um, so we've now seen a big change into the um, delivery method. So if you want access to your drugs, now all of the drugs are delivered straight to you. Um, and you don't even have to leave your house or wherever you are. The change that this has impacted in the way that impacts explo- exploitation is that Um, It increases and it makes the need for a workforce much larger and it's a low-paid workforce and that's kind of why we relate it almost to Uber in that way in that you need more young people out on the streets running these drugs to and from um, different people and it's created the expectation um, from users that their drugs will be delivered to them so that's where we start to see why there's been an increase in the need um, for um those involved in organized criminality and um county lines to really try and bring more and more young people it's almost like a pyramid scheme you they have no in the past you know it was the traditional view of being in a gang as a family um it was a membership but now it's much more related to a, um, a multi-level marketing scheme That you have to keep bringing more and more people in all the time um and they are just kind of recycled through what's that what that's meant is that they're spreading the net wider, as Jenny said. They're looking for people further and further away. <clears throat> they're bringing more and more people into that um, arena, and having to use more methods. But we've not seen um, an increase um, in the um, in the levels of kind of drugs being going down. But what we have seen is that there's been a change in the way that people paid get paid. When I initially started this and probably up until about two years ago, most people who were involved in county lines criminality, they would get paid on a percentage basis. So, for example, that you were given, um, I don't know, 10 grams of heroin and 10 of um, crack to sell, then you would make 10% of the profit from what you sold that day. So there was an incentive to do better, to do more. Now, everyone involved who's on that low level and um, below, um, you know, what we would call the bottom rung, is paid a day rate. The day rate means that you can't earn any more or any less from maybe a 14 to 16 hour day. That therefore creates the need and the competition for violence. If you can steal from another person um, their stash, you can then sell that for 100%. You're not know, on that day rate. So that's where we see some of the driving of the violence that's moved away from the territorial gangs that we saw in the past where people would fight for territory, the ownership of an area, because now that it's a delivery model, the customers, the customer list are the most valuable thing that people go for. Um, And so that's where we've seen a lot of the the rise in violence is the the need and the want to steal other people's stashes so they can make 100 percent profit on that. And we also see it where um cannabis obviously for um it's a massive um i was going to say problem but i don't think i don't know if i can say that i don't know it's a big issue for society but it's also a big issue for young people but most the, the supply of that has dried up significantly um from a international delivery method because it's bulky and it's not profitable and there was the big impact to borders through brexit so if you're a gardener and you love gardening and if you wanted to get some great tomatoes going now, you would not be able to buy a hydroponics kit anywhere. We've seen the increase in grow at home um, cannabis go through um, the roof. You cannot get access or hold of um, hydroponics anywhere. More and more young people involved in this and sometimes it's for their own use, but there's also people who do it to to sell on as well. So that's where we've seen the impact and the violence again comes from there when people are targeting each other. So. The impact really has been the change in the way that the drugs market and the suppliers remain the same, but there's obviously changed to the business model, which has increased and encouraged more young people to be brought into it because you need a bigger churn of young people coming into the system and the change in the way that people get paid.
0: Do you think social media um, has... Um has changed you know the face of county lines because we we'd hear about a lot of influencers don't we on social media glamorising um you know county lines and, and flashing their cash and you know the things that they've bought and, and that often entices young people doesn't it and gives them a perception of what county lines is all about and, and I just wondered about that and I wondered also about I, I often hear people talk about young people choosing um this lifestyle um so i didn't know whether you wanted to say anything on that jim if, if
2: yeah could. i'll take the i'll take the second bit last because that's a complicated yeah. question um <laughs> but the um but the first bit regarding influence is really interesting we see um there's a big warehouse in london um which is set up solely for people to go and take photos for their instagram um profile so there's the there's a this is leading somewhere i promise but there's a um, private jet. Example, like so that people can go and sit there and it looks like they're riding on a private jet. If you go on wish.com, which is one of my least favorite, most hated websites in the world, um, they will sell um, you can get um, big wads of fake cash, you can get fake money readers, um, card readers, um, you can get all of the things that are fake to create an impression around what you may be involved in. So the I don't think it's glamour as such, but I think it's the the idea or the, the the outlaw mentality almost of living outside. You know, when you were a young teenager, I could remember it and still keep a bit of that anarchist deep within me. But, you know, you want to rail against the wolves. You want to be outside of society's norms almost. And so you see someone who you feel that there's booking the system as a young age. They've got loads of money um, and they've got loads of um, access to weapons but I think that's where the impact for social for me from social media is that um, it's often fake and that's and it's always very shallow and surface level and then what happens is it changes and, and disrupts people's perceptions and particularly young people's perceptions of risk um, and I think that's that's the big challenge for social media and then to come on to the question of choosing and and people choosing a lifestyle I think that's um it's an ongoing debate, and it's something that is so fraught with risk because, you know, in the past, um, as a youth offending team professional, as a person who's worked for probation, as a probation officer, you know, it was almost binary—you were either a victim or a perpetrator. Um, throughout um, the way that things have changed around the um, county lines and how people are exploited into um and groomed into the lifestyle almost even if you just refer to the idea that social media gives you um almost like a gateway drug that surface level removing some of the barriers to to your involvement then what happens is that you kind of move slowly into that and then you're a victim but then as you move forward and you become more sophisticated you're still being exploited by those above you who are the organised criminality at the top. Their whole remit is to insulate and create a firewall around their own risk. And so you're still being exploited. But maybe you've moved up, you've got better at drug dealing, you're earning more money. you're doing. So then you've um, maybe got four or five runners beneath you. At which point does that person become, they're both a victim and a perpetrator because they've been exploited from above, but they're exploiting people below. And that's where the... They're kind of there is no binary and so whilst there may be a choice some people move towards the lifestyle but then uh, i'm a sucker for advertising my house is full of stuff that i've seen and brought off the internet because i thought it looked a good idea and it came through and it was awful so you know we are all kind of influenced by the things around us so it's it, I, it's such a difficult question i think choice is influenced by so many different factors that say young people make the choice to become involved in gangs is very difficult because there's so many external factors influencing that. I hope that kind of answers your question, Sally.
0: No, it does. That, that's really helpful. And I think, you know, thinking about that victim-perpetrator spectrum is so important, isn't it? Because young people will move up and down that. Um, and they may be seen as a perpetrator, but their behaviour is actually self-preservation usually. Yeah. Um, and so we, we've got to think about that the situation that they're in um, i'm going to come on to lucy next because lucy often sees um local businesses and taxi drivers and i think lucy you, you when you have conversations with those who um, are the eyes and ears on the ground sometimes they perceive young people as um, as choosing um, and not being victims as well but of course Developing their awareness is so important, isn't it? Because without them understanding child exploitation, they um, they could be an asset to detecting it because they see um, young people. That, that the areas that young people hang around in are usually, you know, some of the places that have licences like... Um, takeaway establishments bowling alleys things like that so do you want to just tell us about some of the work that you do that I think professionals would yeah, yeah. be really interested in about raising awareness of local businesses and taxi drivers
4: yeah sure um luckily as a council we have kind of licensing departments and also we all work very you know well together um, we personally have a scheme called stop it spot it that I'm sure some of you have heard about um, and for an example, when we go out and do the, the um training a lot of the establishments like you know, pizza heart the bowling alley mcdonald's places like that um once we come what, what we want people to do is change the language and change the way they think and that's what we promote um we do this by kind of giving them examples and stuff like that and and we've had kind of people saying um Oh my oh you know oh my god you know I didn't realize I just thought she was promiscuous or I just thought he was you know a wise boy I didn't realize that you know mm. there was a possibility that that young person was being exploited um so you know working with local businesses we find is kind of instrumental um you know we've also set up a local exploitation group um in in braintree that we hope you know people will follow the model. Basically, what we're doing is we we noticed that there was a lot of local cases at Mace. And we were kind of, that journey intrigued us because, you know, young people aren't one day unvulnerable and the next day high risk of of exploitation. So we kind of was looking at that journey that gets them there. So we put together the local exploitation group, which we call LEG. We all love... um, initials, don't we? Um, And basically, that's a group where professionals can come together, talk to us that the police are involved, social care involved, Michelle's involved lots and lots of different organisations. And basically, you know, it just shows that as as a a district council, we can be really, really strategic in helping people to kind of disrupt activity, spot hotspots, Um, So that's what we're doing. We're out there, we're kind of training people, we're getting their messages across, we're asking professionals to use the right language, you know, um, not teaching anybody to suck eggs, obviously, um, but you know, use the right language. Think, is that what's happening? Or is, you know, could something else be happening? And you know know what it's like as professionals, we all kind of go on, we get a bit complacent and we, you know, so people that don't work in our field, um you know like takeaways and places like that how are they supposed to know what the risks are unless we tell them so that's what we're doing you know we're going out there and we're kind of saying hi you know Mm -hmm. very you know very kind of informal very and you know just trying to let them know that Mm. that might not be what's happening
0: i think it's crucial isn't it to child exploitation because we know that um there is that risk in the community, don't we, for yeah. young people who are being exploited. And um, as I said, taxi drivers, yeah. um, takeaway establishments, bowling alleys—they they are an asset to detect child exploitation.
3: Massive, they could
0: yeah, also yeah. be involved in child exploitation as well, mm-hmm. um, or know about it and know that it's happening on their premises. So Would not yes
4: you know or not
0: if they don't know what to look out for blinded to it yes so um i think your role is absolutely crucial and i think that there's i think social workers teachers um health professionals that come together in in child in need meetings Mm. i think they could um have a lot of value Uh, with your input when they are dealing with um, cases and children where exploitation is occurring because you can help with diversionary um, activities for young people you can also help disrupting the exploitation that's happening in that location
4: so we can talk to our our licensing departments you know we've got the community safety hub that we kind of you know obviously are, are a big part of there is a lot of work we can do. And we also need to remember as well, once lockdown does happen, um, establishments have had very, very different priorities as far as safeguarding is concerned. So what we also need to do is once they do open back up, eventually, um, we need to kind of, you know, make sure that they're safeguarding young people. You know, they they've been so concerned and rightly so concerned about, you know, all the rules with COVID and stuff. We need to make sure that, you know, the safeguarding that was there before can be better than it was, you know, pre pre-covid we just need to carry that on Thank you lucy I'm, I'm finding out that there's lots of questions coming in but unfortunately my
0: chat is very faulty and it's not showing them um so steph has kind sent them through to me and so i've realized there's lots coming in so what i'm going to do is just hurry along um and hear from the rest of the panel members just to give a quick summary about their organization and um and what support they can offer to parents um, and also professionals and then we will come to some questions I promise um, so if we could just come to Rosie next from the Essex Children Family Wellbeing Service I think Rosie it would be really useful if you could just give us a quick overview about your organisation and how professionals can access support for parents through your organisation
5: okay so um so we're the to 19 uh, provider services so we work with um, uh, parents and young people, so the parents of young people and directly with young people themselves via our, uh, our, our healthy family teams, uh, which uh, consist of health visitors and school nurses and healthy family support practitioners. And there's been a, a number of bits that I just wanted to kind of touch upon. So we're we're available with that the naught to five age group predominantly because we do. Um, uh, uh, mandated checks we do that new birth visit six to eight week checks and so that's where we're often uh, uh, linking with parents when they've got a child under the age of five but often they will have an older child as well so that will be of particular use when we're talking about um, uh, child exploitation or, or uh, criminal exploitation etc but we also have our school nurses who Um, uh, have a lot to do with schools, they they go into schools, they have drop-ins within schools and they're available to that school age workforce and we have uh, um, a service called Chat Health which is where children can contact us um, uh, um, anonymously to ask questions directly of our school nurses um, if they have um, concerns or worries Um, and again that's where we sometimes hear of some of those more harrowing Uh, kind of tales or or concerns but we do a lot of work with parents about them um, ensuring uh, when they find that they have concerns about the safety of their children so that kind of then links us back into with companies like the two johns who we we will then ask to kind of come in and do some support and education um, if it's in particular as you've mentioned about online issues being a, a really big problem at, at this moment in time I have to say during the lockdown it's been really concerning because obviously there's been a lot less face-to-face contact with children and that's predominantly what we do in to 19 services we're really out there and really visible and because of lockdown because we've not been um, about in schools we've tried to make sure that we've really raised our are um, a sort of virtual and and, um, uh, um, aware people awareness of us virtually so they can contact us in a variety of different ways so as i say we go in and support families directly be they the children uh, or uh, schools to support families uh, or working in partnership with schools Um, and indeed working in partnership with the families themselves. I think right at the beginning, John, one of the things that you mentioned was the health and wellbeing of young people and that emotional impact.
2: Mm. And I have
5: to say that is one of the main concerns that um, uh, we have in health at the moment, where we're seeing, we are seeing notable um, increases in young people presenting with um, uh, emotional um, uh, and wellbeing concerns, as you've said, um, uh, an increase in things like significant um, uh, episodes of self-harm, etc., and linking that back into whether that's to do with those feelings of isolation um, and being cut off, or if that's in some form of um, abuse that they're experiencing, or indeed some form uh, linked back to exploitation, uh, continues to be part of what we we constantly have to unpick. Um, uh, alongside trying to do additional work to kind of support them, and there's lots of services um, out there that uh, are available, uh, both from within our our services directly. When it's kind of maybe more of a uh, earlier presentations to those much more higher level presentations in uh, when you've got come uh, 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 providers like Hums, uh, our local CAMS and uh, services. And the other thing I wanted to just kind of touch on was. Um, I think there was that talk about um, I think it was you, Lucy, who was mentioning that some young young uh, uh, girls can be uh, just perceived as being, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a bit promiscuous, etc. Mm-hmm. And again, we get a lot of um, contact in relation to uh, to kind of accessing a um, uh, uh, thing, you know, sort of like condoms and how to keep safe. Um, have safe sex and uh, our school nurses are really skilled in dealing with that and trying to work first of all to make sure that young people are are safe um, able to practice safe sex and then unpicking what does that mean and when we think back to Rochdale back in 2012 we know that there was a, a lot of that early presentation I appreciate that probably um, uh, criminal exploitation is probably growing but i think we need to not lose sight that child sexual exploitation continues to be an issue that we we need to be um, really aware of we also have the um uh, looked after children's services within Essex um, uh, uh, Child and Safeguard, uh, Essex and Wellbeing Services, um, and um, uh, that's the named nurses, those the, the clinical bit of uh, looked after children, alongside our social care part, okay. those support looked after children as we all do, um, and they also, I, I can remember it right at the beginning of. Um, On the first lockdown one, because I think we're on lockdown three now, but on lockdown one, there was an initial sense that actually things had slightly improved when it came to exploitation. Um, And I think, John, you touched on that. That was right at the beginning, while uh, many of the... Uh, those who exploit were actually thinking of new and exciting ways to, to kind of entice young people um, into their, um, their web. But there was that kind of almost like a lull. Um, and we have had children, um, again, Lucy, you're talking about disruption techniques, talking about how they've used things like I can't get out because actually the lockdown has almost been a, a benefit. But we need to constantly keep up-to-date and and on the front foot when we're thinking about exploitation because the picture changes daily um uh, and and for us as professionals it's that constantly kind to of, uh, trying to keep um fresh and uh, on the front foot i wouldn't you know i can just about work facebook let alone any of those and um, other um uh, 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 games that you were talking about, um, John, or any of those other techniques, and I'm sure lots of other parents are in those positions. So again, us being really um, aware of how to keep most up to date on where the risks are and what it is that we should be looking for is is vitally important so we've invested in uh, having uh, child exploitation champions which you've led sally the development of those across the whole of essex so that we can constantly keep our our workforce and hence those who use our workforce as up to date as 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 possible and i think that's vitally important
0: okay thank you rosie for that overview that's really helpful and just to say um those that want some tips on how to talk two children about exploitation. Um, Rosie's team have delivered a podcast on that and it's on the ESCB web page. It's on our online safety campaign web page, so that's really, really useful as well. Um, Right before I come to Lorraine and Michelle uh, because I I've now got the questions (laughs) that everyone has been asking. So I just thought I would um, just throw some questions in um, before lorraine and michelle um, give an overview too so two of the questions are for you jim um, so i'll put them both together so someone has asked about the new business model that you've been talking about does it mean in your opinion that the top of the hierarchy is more or less difficult to identify and the other question for you is will schools be involved in sharing information that you've talked about to young people
2: yeah okay. You. okay so, so taking the, the first question um is that yeah to be honest uh, it is much harder and i think you know the national county lines coordination center would say that um That the whole business model is um, designed um, and perpetrated around the fact that isolating and insulating those at the top from risk. That's why you have such a churn of young people and need so many young people to be exploited to be able to run the business model, because they're the ones taking all the risk. They're the ones who are. They're also um, they're expendable. Basically, they they go to prison or go to prison for less, whereas if you're at the top then it's much more difficult. And as I, I responded slightly in the chat as well, is that it's not impossible to um, roll up and dismantle the county mm-hmm. line. So within Essex, I know that um, I speak to Superintendent um, Bashford uh, a lot, who is you know talking about how often and they do tackle county lines. But it's again, and they are going more for the mid-level. That top level, where it's managed by the um, NCA, the National Crime Agency, um, it, remains difficult, but then um, international um, drug crime has always been a problem, evidenced by the fact, you know, that um, if you look at the recent case where HSBC um, were fined um, over I think over you know, £500 million pounds were taking £2.5 billion pounds off the Mexican cartels, so a British bank took money off the Mexican cartels um, to help live li- with liquidity, so that, that, that top level. There's so many more geopolitical um, issues involved. So, yes, it is much more difficult at that top level because the risk is isolated, but that's what drives the exploitation because you need to churn through so many young people. Um, and the second question with regarding to schools, yes, uh, it's something that, um, yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, um, we, what we about your campaign? The... <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, sorry, I should yeah. I... know? Yeah, I did. So the the violence of vulnerability. Thank you, Sally, because it's been such a long week this week. The violence (laughs) of vulnerability um, unit are running a campaign. Um, It was supposed to be um, coming out by the end of February, but we had to reshoot some of it. Um, But it's focused across the whole of Essex. Um, It's really featuring and focusing on young people in Essex and really trying to raise their awareness of what to do. Um, and how to spot the signs in their friends, really. Uh, it's been based on the work that was done in Southend, which was really successful. And that's really, um, and it's using the channels, so social media channels that they uh, use as well. So Katie Cannon, our communications expert, has worked really hard on that. But what we've also done is we've um, linked up with the victim support service to make sure that, not just when we raise awareness, that, so that we tell people about what the problem is, um we give them access to a support line as well so throughout the period and for a short period afterwards anyone who's been engaged involved by the um videos and the messages that we're putting out will be able to contact and speak to the people through that is dedicated to this who have been trained and be able to work out how, all the best referral routes so that will be available again absolutely to everyone um across Essex who's um of school age
0: yeah, it's a really exciting campaign. I've seen some of the, the clips of the videos and, and they're really, really good. So um, hopefully that will be out very soon and um, schools can use that with students. Um, I've got another question that could either be Jenny or Jim. Um, Do either of you, are you seeing a reduction in age of the children who are being recruited? So probably into gangs and county lines. I don't know if, if either of you have got an answer to that.
3: Um, I don't don't mind answering some of it if Jim wants to jo- wants to jump in. Yes. Um,
2: like
3: to, ready to <laughs> I mean, I'm not on, at an operational level, uh, more strategic, but I did. Um, I've had sort of some communication with actually the sergeant of the exploitation team that's on on the uh, uh, the, the meeting today, um, and. in in terms of age, I mean, no, I don't, I don't think there has been. But but what it is important to remember is that gangs will look to target under 10s, because, which is a real problem, because they're under the age of criminal responsibility, so we can't prosecute. So, you know, I'm with my prevent and protect head on to me it's all about that early intervention and sadly you know we're having to focus on a younger age in order to be able to um get that early intervention across but you know again gangs are aware of this they know that if they target under tens you know we can't prosecute them um so is there been you know a real shift in terms of age no i don't think there has i think they still target um, particular ages depending on how they want to use them and exploit them within that workforce um, but I do think it's key to remember it's not just teenagers as we would see they are you know they don't get gangs don't care but they don't care who they target um, but yeah that that is a real concern is that you know that the age or that the young age of um, victims that they will look to exploit um, I mean I know and um, when I worked in the expo- exploitation team before, um, you know, they were targeting a primary school within Essex, mm. um, particularly females and mm. of that very young age, specifically to plug drugs. Um, I mean, we know that females, you know, we can't stereotype in terms of uh, criminal and sexual exploitation. It doesn't just affect male or females. Um, but, you know, the fact that the gangs are, are were primarily trying to target girls of such a young age in order just to plug drugs. And that's a real concern. And I don't think that's changed. You know, anyone that's vulnerable, regardless of age, they will seek out and they will exploit. So I, I think we've got to be really careful about um know how we see victims and certainly the age of them but i i don't think there's been a change unless anybody wants to disagree with me on that
0: i think um in terms of gender it's quite an interesting point that you've made there because of course you know when we think about gangs and county lines it conjures up an image of boys doesn't it um and that that does play out in the community because um during lockdown all the or the three lockdowns young people have been sharing Um, information with the services that they are working with those that are being exploited Um, that girls are being targeted um, you know for um, criminal networks and that is because they're less likely to be challenged when they're out in the community i know the children's society have seen this haven't you michelle this is a, a trend that you've also seen um, and so it's paying pay notice to that and, and not having that binary view in our minds that criminal exploitation equals boys, sexual exploitation equals girls, um, because that is not the case. But unfortunately, no. predominantly um, criminal exploitation and victims are re- recorded predominantly but, um, as boys. Um, yeah. So we do need to get out of that that binary thinking. Um, and,
3: and just to, sorry, Sally, just to sort of go on from that, um, you know, I mean, we know that boys can be sexually exploited and most commonly this would be through them, you know, plugging drugs. But what's also important to remember is that there's been cases, I mean, I don't know how many within Essex, but there have been cases whereby males have been forced uh, to be part of an initiation just to join a gang and they have been forced to commit rape. Um, and sexual assault and although they're very much a perpetrator in the eyes of the law due to the offence they're also a victim of that circumstance and in these cases these males can suffer serious consequences from not just their own gang if they don't commit these acts such as serious violence but they can also be um, set upon by a rival gang as a consequence of not doing those acts Mm -hmm. Um, so again it's you know it's not the textbook sexual exploitation but we have to remember that boys can be sexually exploited as well and yeah quite rightly with the females um you know we know that they can be sexually and criminally exploited as well in terms of moving the drugs cash weapons about because like you say they don't tend to get stopped as much by police and gangs know that um and they can again sit under the radar and, and go undetected mm-hmm. um So, yeah, it's uh, again, we again, we definitely shouldn't stereotype in terms of what we see, who is being sexually exploited and who's being criminally exploited. They they do come hand in hand. Mm absolutely because that will
0: just blind us to, yeah. to victims won't it um there's another question which i can quickly answer so the question was are there any places with the most up-to-date warning signs with the various things to look out for where you can learn what to look out for in specific games social media sites um or where someone can refresh their memory so um the escb website has got general information and signposting for any of those that are interested maybe steph if you could put the address up that would be really useful um, NetAware have most up to date information on apps and games. I'd also recommend the 2 Johns website as well um, because they keep that very fresh and up to date with the latest trends. So those are are good places to to have a look at and be signposted. Um, I'm going to come on to um, Lorraine before we do some more questions. And just to ask about some of the differences that have been seen in social care so if you could give us a quick overview, Lorraine, because uh, we want to get some more questions in as well. Uh, OK, thank that. you.
7: So um, within the, the group of young people and children that we work with in social care, um, we've seen quite a lot of fluctuation over the last year in our children who are going missing and our children who are subject of exploitation. But overall, we've seen a reduction in numbers. So what we believe is this reduction is more linked to children not being seen rather than children not being exploited. Um, as everybody has been saying, that the models of exploitation have changed Change. Children aren't, aren't out and about on the streets anymore. Um, our schools have been closed. Our schools are one of our biggest referrers into social care, so we know expectation continues. It's just how we've been capturing it um, because of the way that information has been shared over this last 12 months.
0: Yeah, yeah. and um, I think it's useful to also point out that um, for any professionals that have um, concerns about a child being exploited, They have the SET partnership um, pathway tool, which is on the ESCB website, which has got some up-to-date risk indicators for child exploitation. It also gives you pointers about what next steps should be um, in terms of who you can refer to, what support services there are. So it's a really useful tool and that replaces the CSE toolbox that used to be in existence so that that you can access uh, information there and for professionals who might be lacking um, confidence and knowledge around this area with there is the um e-learning which is also located on the escb website and that was funded by the violence and vulnerability unit and that is free to any professional and that gives um, a lot of information about child exploitation adult exploitation um, and exploitation generally so you can really brush up on your knowledge in this area by accessing the e-learning um
1: Um, i'm gonna Sorry, so on, on that missing issue, I think it was just worth pointing out because the children we were talking to this morning in um, year five and six, a huge percentage of them, I think it was about, was it John, 51%? 54%, yeah. 54% of them had, uh, were well aware of a challenge out there, which is go missing for 24 hours. And we were oh. really shocked by that. So 54% of these children, so they're aged nine, 10, and 11, we're fully aware of a challenge that's doing the rounds at the moment which is um go missing for 24, missing hours. 24
0: hours yeah so, so
1: I've, thought I've mentioned that in terms yeah of talking that's about really interesting
0: training. isn't it so useful yeah. to have some discussions with children about that i've got some questions here for the maybe the two johns might want to chip in on um So there's a question, kids online are so much, uh, or online so much more due to being not able to go out and homeschooling. So do you know if that's presented a rise in grooming and online contacts, um, is the question. Also, secondly, um, there's another question about, do you know of any discussions that are taking place with the gaming industry and social media platforms to support with safety
1: issues? Yeah, I think at the moment we're doing a bit of work where... um, a Roblox game is being designed around um safety that's a project that we're involved in at the moment certainly um i, I can't remember the guys <laughs> John know, a- but, um, Glenn? The, yeah, yeah. That, that looks really really quite interesting yeah. but and i, the I think the problem service. is that and we've been saying this a lot the gaming companies have moved heaven and hurt earth, earth really freely to make their games pretty safe from children. And they're really good at doing that. But like, for example, if you are playing Roblox, which is probably one of the biggest games for little guys at the moment, if you're under 13, you can't use the chat function. That's a bit bizarre because chat function has got excellent sort of software in it to keep it safe. So the trend is across the board, certainly in primary school, is all the kids now, as a matter of course, are using social media to chat. Whether that's FaceTime, one of one that people would have heard us talking a lot about is discord. That is really scaring us because um kids are going on to discord, they're forming relationships on discord and chatting. So you can have a go at the gaming companies as much as you want, which seems to be the trend in the press mm-hmm. where actually it's the linked up third party chat apps, that are the issue. So it's the it's about parents chatting to their kids. like there's no problem letting your kid play Roblox with their friend on FaceTime if that's what they're doing and um, actually from a um, health and well-being point of view, we think that is a really positive thing to do. And that's at odds with some parents that are saying, don't let your kids chat in games. And we're scratching our head a bit. So, for for example, if you've just had the most recent lockdown, which is um, if I say it's three months, it's not quite that, is it? And um, you've got the kids that have got strict parents and the kids that have got parents that are OK. Now, the strict parent has probably said to the kids, you're not allowed to chat to people online, you're not allowed to go on the internet, and they might not even have a device. And that might be a really heavily imposed rule. And their only access online is when they actually do their homeschooling. So put that kid in one corner, then you've got the um, other kids who, since they split up, they've stayed in touch with their friend every day. If you take my daughter as an example, she chats on FaceTime to her best friend, and they role play in a game, and they chat, they laugh, they put their adults to bed. And I guess our question is, when they come back to school after three months, which one of the kids has got the better level of health and well-being? How How is that kid that has had no contact for three months gonna adapt back? And when you're talking about year six at the moment, going up to year seven in big school, I, don't, I mean this when I say we are really, really worried. You may have kids at the minute that are quite anxious about going up to big school. And what they would normally do is talk peer-to-peer, things they don't want to bother their parents with. They'll be talking to their best friends and everything else about, oh, you know, are we allowed to wear hair dye? Can we have an earring? And basically, they're having all of that sort of peer-to-peer chatting that is so, so important. Well, if you've removed your kid from that, because you've got this rule, you're not having social media till 13, how does that kid, especially in lockdown, have those chats with their peers to allay these fears. You might get a situation in September where you've got kids turning up in September. They haven't had anything that resembles a familiarization day with big school. And by the parents' actions, they might have actually been removed from these peer sort of groups. So we're really worried to quite a profound level on all of this. So there's lots of things to consider. It's easy to go down the road, I think, of saying that kids shouldn't be having these chats. They shouldn't talk to people online which is the normal narrative but John and I are struggling with how that actually fits into the health and well-being area which might lead to even worse outcomes and the kid chat to people in the game. I'm hoping that makes sense because it sounds yeah. a bit um, worthy. I think
0: what I would add is is between the ages of 10 and 11 we see a doubling of victims of online exploitation and, and that's because children are not prepared um, well enough they're not prepared for their first smartphone and you know interactions on social media um and so that there's some good information on the online safety campaign um obviously that we deliver through escb but with uh, a lot of you guys um that will give some information on that but just to sort of touch on the point about increases in in grooming Um, We can try and get some figures, but I I do know that there have been um, increases nationally on um, children who have been engaged with uh, through sexual communication. Um, There's also, I think the Internet Watch Foundation reported a 77% increase in youth produced sexual imagery being shared. So these are young people who are sharing nudes of themselves or others, Um, peers.
1: It's the the age as well. I think 93% of self-generated sexual images are young people aged 13 or under. And again, the normal narrative makes us think this is teenagers engaged in sexting. And um, I think of that, something like 97% are boys and 3% or sorry, 97% girls, 3% boys. And um, when we were talking to Polit within the last two weeks, I think they were suggesting that in um, January this year, they'd had almost as many reports as they did in the whole of 2019, when we were talking about this sort of imagery. So clearly, there's a massive problem to be it's
0: dealt with really. in that area isn't there. I'm going to come on to Michelle. Um, sorry Michelle, I know you've been waiting very patiently um, to give an overview of, of your um, reflections from the perspective of the Children's Society. If you can give us a, a quick overview and then we can fill in some more questions if you can. Thank you. Come on, I'm you. <laughs> I can hear you, or I did. She's muted again. Try it again. Still on mute. OK, well, while, while Michelle is, is battling with her mute button. Oh, are you there? Yes, can you hear yes, me now? Yes, can hear you now. Go on. OK,
6: um, so um, the Children's Society um, offer um face-to-face work with young people between the age of 8 and 24 Um, so that's a bit of a difference in our service that we offer quite a broad range of support Um, we do offer virtual sessions um, and we have a group worker who can come into schools and work with groups of young people around exploitation and that doesn't necessarily mean that that young person um, they all have to be exploited it might be that you want some work done with a friendship group um, for that young person we also offer family support to the parents um, and that's through our partnership with Bernardo's. so the parents can be um supported around their young person being exploited um I think like a lot of the others have sort of reflected we do talk about stepping into your child's world um, and certainly understanding what is going on for them um sort of we have seen a rise in the virtual um, exploitation and definitely have seen a lot more young people um, being exploited to share indecent images and as I sort of put in the chat earlier that um, monetary exploitation as well. Um, I know also in the chat there was um, a few people asking about wanting to see case and exams and that's something that Children's Society would be able to provide. Um, obviously we work with young people over a long, so we are a long-term service So most of my cases, I've worked with that young person for over a year. I will have walked their journey with them. um, And some of our young people will have been entrenched in what they're doing. um, And we never give up hope with a young person. um, And that is the beauty of what we do. Um, We also have a campaign that we've been running, which is hashtag Look Closer. And that is to encourage um, people to go and talk to young people about... Um, what you know if they see them out and about if it's unusual as we've sort of already said it's not just boys are criminally exploited and girls are sexually exploited and they and actually criminal and sexual exploitation almost run hand in hand and a lot of people have already sort of covered in the ways in which that can be done Um, but that's something that we're really passionate about that actually don't um, you know feel you've got to put a person into a category of what they are that they both sort of run together um and in in that campaign we talk about how it is okay to approach a young person and check that they are okay to think about where they are and who you can signpost them to to, to have some support and also not to be afraid to um you know talk to the british transport police about a young person who's traveling um, and, and just generally having that awareness of what's going on, really. Um, yeah, so that's that's the service that we offer. I've yeah. dropped my email into the chat quite a lot so people can contact me directly. Um, and we are a wide team who works all over Essex.
0: Thank you, Michelle. And I think it's so important to emphasise that you work with young people up to the age of 24 um, because we know that there's a lot of young people who sort of hit that cliff edge when they reach 18. A lot of services ebb away, don't they, um, when they wake up on their 18th birthday. Um, you know, we I sort of hear that, that that song in my head, what a difference a day makes. Um, and it just says it all for that age group, doesn't it? And so I think, you know, for professionals who are working with teenagers, um, it's so useful to get your service involved because you will help them through that that really important transition. Um, I've got a question for Lucy. Um, I'm just going to bring it up. So, oh, I've lost it. Bring it up again. So, Lucy, I've got a question here. Do local businesses worry that by reporting concerns... Um, It will put them at risk of violence. Is is that an issue that you've?
4: That's something that no, we haven't come across that. We what we have come across, and I did see a comment earlier about um, some local businesses being the problem. Um, So what we have come across is resistance from a few um, local businesses. Um, no, we haven't. I mean, we ha- yeah, we, we haven't had any any local businesses worried about repercussions of reporting, but we have had a few that have been resistant, um, which is where um, our licensing team come in useful and our work with the police come in useful. So, you know, we, we can kind of say, hey, you know, we're watching you kind of thing.
0: yeah. Okay, thank you for that, Lucy. I've got another question. Um, I'd like some volunteers on, on answering it. So, uh, what work and help is being done with those young people who may be already involved and caught by police? I don't know if this is something that maybe Jim or, or Jenny might be able to pick up on. So, work that, that's been done once they have been arrested for an offence, um, but we know that they're a victim. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, I'll, I'll just quickly have an input, Jim, unless you want to come in. Um, I suppose I need a little bit more. When they say what work is being done with those kids that are being arrested, um, mm-hmm. are we talking about children that there's evidence that are involved in gangs and county lines? If there is that, um, not everyone may might, might know this, but we now have safeguarding officers within our Op Raptor gangs units. Um, so it's not, we're not all just, we're not just pursue driven. You know, we are very much look at things as a prevent and protect aspect now as well. Um, and those safeguarding officers are there primarily to engage um, with uh, children and young adults um, that may be uh, found in a, I don't know, in a cuckoo property or a trap house that where a warrant's been executed um, or, or just in general for, for, for the area that they're in. But uh, I know the safeguarding officers are very much designated Towards this the, the safeguard and the prevent and protect aspect in terms of young people because you know because we shouldn't just be there to criminalise them. And it's really important that, that these children and young people know that because um, it can be very difficult as police, and that's an instant barrier for us, as, as I'm sure all the professionals know. Um, so certainly if we're looking at gangs and county lines activity, we now do have the safeguarding officers within these units, um, and they're there to very much engage with those young people, try and put some safeguarding in place and basically bring all the multi- if they're within say that involved with the statutory services they will be there and, and bringing all the multi-agency sort of approach um, around safeguarding so if, if that whoever asked that question if that's what they're looking at, at what targeted safeguarding are we doing or what targeted work are we doing around people that are involved in can- gangs and county lines activity we now do have the safeguarding officers i mean i, I can't answer for what our cpt teams are doing necessarily in our local policing teams um but prevent and protect i think for me is still a very new thing um and, it, and it's obviously about moving away from that pursue driven um perspective that we have you know we are law enforcement that is what we do but we very much take the prevent and the protect aspect very seriously as well and that's something that we're continuing to develop um i don't know if jim wants to jim, jump in from the vice vulnerability perspective
2: Yeah, so obviously every young person if once they are arrested um, is um, then open to the youth offending service um, and the youth offending service is very skilled um, at working with young people who um, are involved in gangs and so we we have a number of um, gang exit strategies. Um, I used to run the intensive supervision and surveillance service which provided an alternative to custody for young people Um, and those are often those who are entrenched um, within gang lifestyle and entrenched within the um, within the drug dealing, um, and so what we would do, uh, you know, working with young people and everyone on this panel would say the same: is the moment that you tell them not to do something is probably the moment that they will. So we try and provide them with opportunities, provide them with an understanding of what their behaviours and how they're impacting, but also the constraints and control upon them. Um, so that they have freedom to move away from the gang at the same time. So it's a combination of both, you know, the support, but also ensuring that there's the um, safeguarding procedures in place regarding buddy tags, regarding um, curfews, making sure that, you know, we can use any of the civil litigation, although I'm not a huge fan of the civil litigation that's available, um, to make sure that young people um, are given that opportunity. And I, I think all of the young people that I think we've worked with in the last year Fall somewhere on that um, on that spectrum between victim and perpetrator. So making sure you're managing that relationship along those lines as well. The biggest challenge at the moment is the um, backlog in the courts that's been created by the pandemic. So you often have young people um, who will be arrested, um, and if it's for a possession with intent um, or for a more violent offence, then often there can be a huge Um, delay between them being um, first arrested and them appearing in court. It's no one's fault, I wouldn't lay the the blame at the police's door or the courts but there is a huge backlog. Within that period it's much more difficult for statutory services to become involved and the young people often lose the impact of the consequence of their actions so that is probably the biggest challenge we're facing at the moment when working with young people who've been arrested to exit gangs.
0: Yeah, great. Thanks, Jim. Right, I've got one last question, everyone. Um, And I think this probably suits um, Michelle, maybe Lorraine. Um, So the question is about parents. Um, and someone has asked, how do I approach parents when I have a concern about their child being groomed? So I'm particularly thinking about the, the parent work that um, the Children's Society do in conjunction with Bernardo's, Michelle. And um, of course, we know that parents often say that they feel like they're secondary victims, don't they, when their child is being exploited and they feel very judged by professionals when they're trying their absolute best to to safeguard in very difficult circumstances so i don't know if we we need to sort of think about that but if you've got any advice on how you would then approach a parent and have that discussion about concerns if if you think their child is being groomed are you there michelle
6: yeah so i think that um so i think that it's If you're the professional trying to have this um, conversation with the parents, it is about um, making the parent sort of feel that they're not being judged on what's happening at home because I think quite often parents feel judged. um, And just trying to sort of walk alongside them in their journey. and and what's happening for them um don't give up having those conversations keep trying with them because sometimes there will be a reachable moment in that when you can talk to them and sometimes if you can share an experience with them um you know it doesn't necessarily have to be your own experience or something but you know Um, having sort of a relatable story I often feel works with parents Um, and I know that Bernardo's team that's the sort of things that they would do and they're similar to our team where we're quite persistent in getting someone to work alongside us Um, that's one of the beauties of what our teams can do that we don't just offer three phone calls and then we won't engage we will try for that long-term engagement with them Um, So yeah, my suggestion would be just trying to make a connection with that parent, even before you um, try to have those conversations if possible, Um, you know, getting to know the parent and then getting them to trust you and then they'll often have that conversation. Um, and also i would suggest signposting them to somewhere like the two johns website because they do have really up-to-date knowledge and um sally i know you you mentioned somewhere else as well or someone did um and that can be another really good thing sometimes letting the parent take ownership of finding um the finding what they need can can also help
0: yeah great thanks for that michelle um if anyone else wants to add anything then let me know um I did lie there's just one last quick question um which I think is a quick one probably for you Jenny um someone has a, asked is there still a gangs line service or service that's more relatable for kids to work with yeah
3: I have answered
4: that Thanks oh you've answer answered nothing. it in the chat yeah,
3: I'm going to email um Jennifer separately with some services that she might not already be aware of that are available OK, great. Well, I
0: think that's all the questions that we've got. If I've missed any, then I will have a look at those and we'll come back and um, and answer the person that put that question on. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's been a really good um, meeting and hopefully you found it all really useful. And I just want to say thank you to all the panel members as well, because you've made it super and your contributions are really enriching in making sure that we've got a really good overview about exploitation at the moment. And and also the rapid changes that we're seeing, because it's very difficult to keep up with those. Um, hopefully you've um, everyone that's been listening has um, felt as if that it's been useful. Um, we know that there's been so much change in child exploitation over the twelve uh, last twelve months, so it's really hard to keep up with it. But there are so many ways to find out more. Um, So just to sort of plug a few items here where you can get further information. The ESCB are delivering their regular online safety campaign. We do this four times a year. It is going to be um, next starting on Monday. Monday the 22nd of March so it's very timely and um, it'll be kicking off on Monday with a and a session with the two Johns uh, at eight o'clock on their Facebook page so um, if you've got further questions for the two Johns that's your opportunity to go to their website or their Facebook page at eight o'clock on Monday and ask some more questions but the online safety campaign has got lots of information every single day for seven days there's lots of partners on the panel who are also involved involved with that. Um, Some people that have also delivered some great podcasts as well, so I would um, really urge you to check that out. Um, There are webinars on the ECB website as well uh, under the learning and development page. Lots of webinars um, around the the field of of child exploitation. Some really good keynote speakers, so those are free and I would urge you again to have a look and get signed up to those. You can access advice and support, as we've said throughout this discussion, from lots of websites. So, um, you know, just to to plug again the ESCB one, but also the Essex Child and Family Wellbeing Service and the Children's Society. Um, They've got lots of information on all of those about signs of exploitation and how to get help um, and how to be signposted to the right people. Um, I think it's really important to say that, you know, if you've got any suspicious activity about exploitation as a professional, you should submit that by, via the Essex Police partner form. You can access that form on the, um, the partner pathway that we mentioned, which is on the ESCB website. So that will go to the triage team in Essex Police, they pull together suspicious activity and they help to join those dots. So if you don't know whether it's relevant or not, you're unsure, you're, you're uncertain, still put that information through. But if you're worried about a child who you can identify, then obviously you need to um, report that to the police. Um, And you can look at the partner pathway on ways of doing that and um, also making referrals to social care if they meet that threshold. Um, So I I think that sort of wraps us up here. Um, Hopefully you found this really useful. We welcome feedback. So if you have any feedback on how we can improve or any sort of comments on today and what was useful, then please email me um, because that just helps us going forward with events like these. But um, I'd like to say goodbye and um, thank you to the panel members. And uh, I'm sure they'd like to say goodbye as well. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye.
6: Bye. Bye.